but their hearts. That's the thing about it, those hearts. You know, you got to love your church family. For all of you that are guests here today at Hardy Street Baptist Church, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here. My name is Scott Pittman. I am the student pastor, and uh, my family, uh, which consists of my wife Donna and my three daughters, Taylor, Kylie, and Cortland, we've been here two years this month, and so we're excited to be a part of this church family, and for all of you who are guests, let me tell you, it's a fantastic place to come and plant your feet. But once you plant your feet, let me warn you, this church family, they become family. Today, I've had all kinds of prayer requests, but it wasn't because they truly were concerned about the presentation of the Lord's Word, which they are. It was primarily because I'm preaching a very hot topic today. From 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and all the men kind of had that smirk, praying for you today, buddy. You know, kind of like, hey, hope your marriage is okay after this type prayer request. So, hey, come and be a part of our church family. Just know when you do, you know, you become family. And uh, that's what you get a little piece of. And I love my church family. Very thankful for today. I appreciate our pastor, Scott Hanbury, for giving me the privilege of getting in the pulpit. I am called to share the Word of God and to teach the Word of God. And this is a joy for me. What I need to do before we get started is I need to walk you up to this point. Because if you don't understand the context, first of all, let me start this. A lot of you are looking at my Bible. Let me explain so I can tell it once. My cover was coming off. So I put, you know, some scotch tape on it. And it was falling off here. And uh, I wanted it to stay on good. And my middle daughter, Kylie, I said, Kylie, can you put some tape on this and make it stay on? She said, I sure can, Daddy. And she came back and she taped my Bible. And the, covers, the cover is intact. You'll be glad to know she did a job well done. And that way I won't have to explain this a hundred times about my Bible. The backstory is important. If you don't understand the backstory of how we got to this point today, then the context of the scriptures are going to have to be explained all through chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 as I'm speaking. And so I want to set it up because for those of you who may not be as well versed in the scriptures, I want you to be caught up with us. It's okay if you don't know a lot about God's word. If you're the person that has to turn to the table of contents to find 1 Peter, that's okay. We all have been to that place and a lot of people are at that place. There's nothing wrong with that. So I want to give you some context for even those of you who are longtime saints and have been around hearing the word of God because it helps me to set up what God's going to do through this message. It's all about context. The man named Simon, he was called by Jesus to come and follow him and God said through his son Jesus, I will make you a fisher of men. So Simon began to follow Jesus, and it was when Simon said to Jesus that I claim that you are the Messiah, Jesus looked at him and called him Kephas, which means rock in Aramaic. Well, later on, the name Peter came to be because Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. Kephas, Aramaic, Aramaic, and then the Greek word for that is Petros, 
which later became Peter. So we're talking about Peter who became one of the inner circle of Jesus, which was called the 12 disciples. So Jesus poured into Peter and he called Peter because Peter would lead the church, the early church in Jerusalem. You can take a look at Acts verse chapters 1 through 10. And you see that he led the early church in Jerusalem through a very difficult Time, but also a very growing time. It's when the Holy Spirit came after Jesus had died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came into the place where Peter was filled with the Spirit, and the early church began to blossom and see people come to faith in Christ. The letter of 1 Peter wasn't written until decades later. When Peter was gone from Jerusalem, pushed out from Jerusalem to go into the other areas of Rome... And that's when he wrote the letter. It was decades later. He had aged and he was much wiser. He had seen a lot of things happen in his life. And we see that Peter is the one who is writing this letter to people in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So the letter that's going out is not actually to the Jews. This is to Gentile believers. Gentile believers who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of their life. And Peter is writing to them because he understands that they are beginning to experience severe persecution. Now church, what you need to understand is that not only are they experiencing some moderate persecution at the point that the letter was written, but by the time the letter became dispersed to all of the churches in Asia Minor, persecution had grown quite heavy because Nero had stepped in, and it got real difficult for Christian believers to live out their faith publicly. You find that when you get to 1 Peter, this is kind of how the letter arrived, and Silvanus, which was actually a friend of Peter's, you see it at the end of 1 Peter, was actually a partner in the ministry. He actually commissioned, Peter commissioned Silvanus to write the letter, and here's why that's important, because he was trying to get the letter to a scribe to dictate this letter so that they could get it out as quick as possible, because the overview of this letter is that Peter wants them to know that life in a fallen world, and this is important, this is key to set up everything, life in a fallen world brings great trouble. But Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, can trust that they will receive their eternal reward that's going to surpass all of the temporary pain that they're walking through. Peter wrote this to encourage them. He wrote this to build them up. And so as you're turning in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to walk through up to chapter 3, which we have heard Pastor Scott Hanbury, we have heard Pastor Scott Alexander preach on these texts, and I'm not going to re-preach them, but I do want to walk you through in case you just joined us today, and you need to be caught up. So here's the, here's the place that we find ourselves in 1 Peter. You find that the greeting happens. And so those are, the, those are the first two verses of this letter. Paul spits out this greeting. Okay, And the greeting of the letter serves a purpose. And a lot of times we find that greetings of letters may not mean a lot to you, but the greeting of this letter is very important. Where Paul, Peter comes out and he says that you are the chosen people who are exiled around the world. You're just like, listen, you're just like 
the chosen people, starting with Abraham, and he begins to connect them with a family. He's like, I want to welcome you in that this is the, the chosen people of God. You were Gentiles, but you're called into this family because of Jesus Christ. And so he immediately brings them in and says, you're a part of this story. So when it goes back to the Old Testament stories of Father Abraham, who led God's people to begin the nation of Israel, and they were also exiles and wandering around the world he's like it's just like you see out of the gate he wrote the letter to encourage them the words are to build them up you can find the story in Genesis chapter 18 Isaiah chapter 41 Genesis chapter 23 the strategy of Peter shows these suffering Gentile followers that Jesus that Jesus claims that they all now belong they belong to this family that Abraham started that God used Abraham to start. And they're wandering exiles that are misunderstood and they're mistreated and they're looking for their true home that's in the promised land. You see how he connects the dots there, just in the greeting. He goes from there to verses, starting with verse three into a song of praise. And what I believe is the song of praise is saying, God, because of your great mercy, this is what you've accomplished. And he just goes into this pouring out the praises to God saying, this is what it's all about. See, it all hinges on the plan of God and the person of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad today that our circumstances don't hinge on us, but that God is on his throne? The same thing that Peter was telling the people who were in Asia Minor or modern day Turkey and all of the things they're going through. That because of you putting your faith in Jesus Christ, God's great mercy has come into your life and you're born again. But you're born again into a living hope, a new family, a family that has an identity and has a structure. Because Jesus resurrected from the grave. He's alive today and the power of his spirit lives within you. God has placed us in this faith family with a new identity and a new hope. So persevere, push through, make sure that you know that it all hinges on your relationship with God the Father. And then he goes into this incredible conversation about suffering. Suffering in a believer's life is an interesting message. And here's why. Suffering is the place that burns away false hope and it burns away the distractions just like a purifying fire does. Have you ever been distracted in your life and it pulls you away from your faith journey? Hey, look at me, breathing people, just do this if you're a follower of Jesus. That's what that means. Yes, we're all in this together. I know that sometimes we come to church and we kind of think that we don't need to let everybody in on just how broken and messed up we are. But one thing that I've learned about life in my 43 years of living is this. If you're breathing, you're broken. <laughs> that means you got problems just like me. So I'm not going to pretend I got it all together so you don't either. And that's what Peter is telling them is that we are going through this suffering for your good and for God's glory. And it's going to decrease and push the distractions away. It's going to bring you into a place where you find true hope is the anchor for your soul. And that's a great place to be, church. In a world that's always unsteady, in the world that you don't know what's coming around the corner, to have an anchor for your soul that's a true hope, that's a good thing. And that's what God is doing in us as we read this letter. 
He keeps going into the body of the letter, which starts at like verse 13 of chapter 1 and goes to chapter 2, verse 10. And he starts the first part, the theme of this letter is about being in that new family and about being in that new identity. And, And he explores more Old Testament images about Israel and that family that applies to them as Gentile Christians, always bringing them back into, you're not abandoned, you're not stranded, you have a hope, you have a life. It's just like the Israelites who left Egypt. They too are to gird up their loins and leave behind a former way of life. You remember when we talked about that? It's just like the Israelites when you left Egypt. You too have a responsibility as a follower of Jesus to gird up your loins and to turn away from your former way of life. And there's a new way of living. Hang on to that because that's what catapults us into chapter 3. We're running straight towards chapter 3 and what Peter is trying to encourage the body of Christ to understand. They are the people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It's the new exodus, if you will. Verses 17 through 21 of chapter 1 all all point back to Exodus chapters 12 through 15 because Jesus becomes the ultimate Passover lamb. There are the people who have a new covenant, which it points back to Isaiah chapter 40 and Jeremiah chapter 31. Living inside of them. This is a new covenant that's alive inside of them. And it's, and it's living and it's restoring their hearts. It's renewing their minds. So God's not saying that there is a dormant teaching that's surrounding you, but there is a living, active transformation working inside of your heart that God knows exactly what you're going through. And he's not stopping working in you to renew your mind and renew your heart and make you new because there's new life in you and a new promise you see what happens when you begin to read God's word and you see the clarity of Jesus Christ pressing in to build up and to love us to encourage us because God knows how broken this world is because of sin he goes on and he tries to uh, just connect more dots saying that we are a kingdom of priests. We're representatives of the good news of Jesus Christ. Even you Gentiles, just like Israel, were representatives of God. You are representatives of Jesus Christ's son. We're representatives. He puts their suffering into a brand new story. Because The way that you live through suffering and persecution brings a clarity to a world that's watching. And then he goes into the next piece of this body of the letter. From chapter 2, 13 to 3, 7. And he talks about our responsibility. How we are to act and to live in suffering as we bear witness of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today, starting in chapter 3. But to recap, because Scott Alexander did a fantastic job last week, he says, you submit to Roman rule. 
You see what he's telling them, submit to Roman rule. So when you see submission to authorities, he's telling them you need to submit to the Roman rule, encouraging them that even though it's oppressive and even though it's not something that you wanna do, that this suffering and persecution is unjust, but violent resistance solves nothing and it definitely doesn't point to how Jesus taught us through his lifestyle. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And so all, all things that Peter's doing is pointing back to Jesus and driving them away from a pagan way of living. This is the way that you live as a follower of Jesus. Stay with me. Peter then addresses the difficult situation that Christian slaves and wives face. So here we are ushered right into this place because today you need to know that chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 specifically deal with Christian wives who have husbands that are non-Christians. The context is not for you women to look at six verses versus one verse of a man being talked to saying, why is it that you think we need so much help? No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, the love of God just lavishes on you more conversation. And don't tell me you don't like more conversation, women. I know that one thing about you is that words are important. One thing about you is for certain is that we are all more encouraged when we have more time spent discussing with us. And you have a Christian wife in the midst of a pagan world who has a pagan husband wanting their home to be invaded by the love of Jesus. And they're going, how do I do this? And so Peter addresses it because he cares. Chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 is for the delight of the believing wife who has a lost husband to say there's hope. And God put that hope inside of you, and I'm going to help you bring that out into a living way. And we're going to watch your home be invaded by the love of Jesus so that your husband comes to faith in Christ. Any wives hearing me this morning? No, 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 that ain't going to happen. We're going to get a little charismatic, church. Any wives hearing me this morning? Because here's the thing about you you need to know is that God has a plan for your life and that plan is through the way that he created you, not trying to make you in a different way. So let's look at the scriptures together. For all of you who are turned to 1 Peter chapter 3, join along with me as we read verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, and don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is in God, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So we start off with an interesting word, don't we? We start off with the word likewise. The word likewise brings us all the way back 
to why we just spent that time, that five minutes, setting up the context of this. Peter starts off and he says, likewise. Just as he talked to slaves and just as he talked to believers submitting to authority, he's talking to wives who are living in a pagan world with a lost husband. Likewise, you wives. Now, what we get as instruction from this is, is without a doubt valuable for all women, but not just women. Because one thing that you need to know is the scripture tells us very clearly that the reason we have such problems with the word submission is because all we like sheep have gone astray. Do you hear that? Men, that means you too. Or should I say, you especially. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. There's a sense of rebellion that comes with this idea of being a lost person. You're not born into this world born again. You're born into this world lost. And so without the impact of the gospel and the understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives, then there's not much hope for the change that would occur in us. That's why Peter says likewise. Because submission to a lost husband or submission to a born-again husband will not happen until surrender to the Lord Jesus happens first. You can't understand the concept of submission if it doesn't start in your own heart. So this is not a, this is not a man versus woman issue. This is a creation versus creator issue. That's the proper context of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So now you know where we're going. And I want to talk about the first couple of words past wives. Likewise, wives, be subject. Be subject. The word be subject simply means to voluntarily yield your rights. Why? Because you love that person. You voluntarily yield your rights. That means that you do have rights, and it does mean that you can choose not to do that. But it means because of a love. Women, here's what I adore about you. Is that God created you in such a way that the love that he made you with and the way that you care and what exudes from your life is not something that you ask for. God planted it in you. Living in a home with four women, I get a different kind of love and a different kind of care than I ever have in my life. Where I may have had my mom, I had dad and two other brothers. It looked a lot different than a wife and three daughters. I don't have any children, you know, doing the kind of things that my brothers did. Now, don't let them fool you. They'll still come off the top rope every once in a while when you're not looking. They're still wild and rambunctious. They're my kids, and I love wrestling with them and doing that kind of stuff. But there's a gentleness and a care. You twist your ankle in the Pittman house growing up, well, dad's looking at you saying, boy, get up. Get up. I don't see a bone and it's not bleeding. Get up. 
and mama's coming in to the rescue, and your brothers are like, oh, how long till you can come back out and play? Such a wimp. You know, that kind of attitude. But when you hurt yourself in the current Pittman home where I am, oh, no, daddy. Oh, my goodness. It's almost like I look forward to getting hurt. <laughs> There's a different kind of care and love that just comes out of that. God gave that to you. And so when Peter addresses the wife, he addresses from an understanding that God's given you something on purpose that makes you the way that you are. And so he says, be subject. Voluntarily yield your rights. That means entitlement is out the door for the wife and for all believers. Listen to this. Entitlement is out the door. Selfishness is out the door. And behavior and influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes the priority. Because what is happening in the life of the believer is that Christ is taking over because of a submissive heart and a submissive mind. This is how we live out our life as a believer. So for many of us, the current conviction is, I'm not always living my life, girding up my loins and moving away from a former lifestyle, but it's almost like I've claimed the title and I've stayed in a way of living. And that's not Christ-like. That is not born again. Born again is that we find a better hope in Jesus, so we pursue that. He rescues us and he, he saves us by his grace in our believing in him. But he changes us by our pursuit. And so he tells the wives, be subject to your own husbands. There's going to be times when your pagan husband is not going to follow the rules of a believing wife. There's going to be times that a pagan husband is going to go against the things of a Christian husband. There's going to be times that a pagan man in the house is going to leave the house differently than you would want them to or desire them to. But the way that the woman approaches this passage and the way that you live in a home with an unbelieving husband is that you understand that the man of your life is no longer the man that's in the house. The man of your life is the man that you submit to every day, and the joy of that is that the man that's in the house gets to see the beauty of who you are in Christ as you serve him, as you encourage him, as you build him up, as you show him a gentleness that only comes from the fruit of the Spirit inside of you, that shows him a kindness that's not like the pagan women all around him, but he sees something, and through time, as time passes and time passes, he sees that his wife is not just somebody who looks good on the outside, but there's a beauty that draws him close on the inside. And over time, that heart begins to get chiseled because the Spirit of God's working through the spirit of his daughter as she loves her husband in a submissive way. I'm submitted to the man in my life. And because of that, I can love you better. It's a beautiful picture. It's a wonderful picture. The home is won by conduct. You can write that down if you're a note taker. The home is won by conduct. I want us to look at this. First, I want to set it up looking at verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is chapter 2. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is aggravating. 
people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You hear the language he's using. Once you've not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. It's all about being brought into being a new creation, chosen by God, a royal priesthood. You're not living for yourself. You're living for the glory of God. It's his kingdom. It's his glory. It's his name. You were in darkness. He rescued you. You live this way now because you belong to him. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, and we learned about that, that we are foreigners. We are exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I get it. I get it. We want to live out our flesh and go against the grain because all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. I get that. But the scripture tells us abstain. We are to run our race for the glory of God because the passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct. This is where it is, right here, verse 12. Circle it. Think about it. Put it in your notes. Keep your conduct. Everybody say conduct. Among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The home is won by conduct. And it starts with Peter addressing a Christian wife. Be respectful, he says. He says, be respectful. Have pure conduct. Because you're going to see the house won, not with what you're saying, but with how you're living. Because the conduct of the believer matters more in a pagan world and culture in order for the words to impact, the conduct has to precede. How you live is important. You can't keep saying you're a follower of Jesus, but your life doesn't look different than the world full of pagans. For those of you that are not believers in this place today and you don't really know where you stand with God, understand this, is that you have to do nothing to look like the world. You just look like the world by being born in it. But to look like Jesus, you have to die to yourself every day. Because each of us in here, the only thing that's different between you as an unbeliever and us as a believer is that Jesus has rescued our souls. We have to get up every day and we have to die to self. Amen, church? We have to die to self. We have to bury the flesh. We have to kill this flesh or else we will live out the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. This is not the lifestyle that Peter's talking about. He's talking about people who are submissive as followers of Jesus and he's pressing hard into it. He's like, you want to win your house? You want to see a home invasion for the gospel? Man, you better know that this is real life. You've got to trust Jesus and surrender it all to him. The free demonstrate Christ through their actions. Respectful and pure are two words that he uses for the wife to win the house. Respectful and pure doesn't come from how you look on the outside. So he goes into the conduct of the pagan woman. He says, I want to show you how to get to respectful and pure. There's some respectful and pure women in this church family. I am telling you. Beautiful women who have submitted to the authority of God in their life. Women that I love for my children and my wife to be around. People that I believe are truly surrendered to what God wants to do in and through their life. And that their greatest act of impressing is to die to themselves every day. 
And it takes a beautiful woman to do that. It takes a powerful woman to do that. Peter says that that's what you are in Christ. And this is how your conduct's going to win your home. And he goes into this conduct of the pagan woman. In verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. You see, conduct of the pagan woman is all about herself. It's a DIY. You know what that is? Do it yourself. She's having this idea that I'm not going to submit and do it somebody else's way. I'm going to win a man, and I'm going to win my identity, and I'm going to search for who I am in the way that I look on the outside. What she doesn't remember is that she's aging, and what she doesn't remember is that once you get the body in a certain place in a certain way, there's no going back sometimes. I mean, you can get as many injections as you want to in your eyebrows, but let's face it, eventually you're either going to look like a clown or it's it's just going to kind of go south that's life that's life for all of us so the truth is is that why is he telling us this let me let me encourage you he's in telling you this because you need to see the difference between the conduct of a pagan woman who is all about herself look at how I am on the outside here's the difference when this woman spends time looking at her external her hair her clothing her body her makeup should we keep going in 2018 Look, there ain't nothing wrong with makeup. Don't go home and throw, throw your makeup away. Then you're going to get your husband mad at me. Okay? But when you put so much stock in what's going on on the outside, and you put very little time on what's going on on the important places, that's when you got a problem. You see, what's happening here is that there's a pagan culture that says, I'm all about the outside. Anybody see that happening in the world you live in today? That young girls are raised up in this society thinking that how you really got to live your life is based on how you look. Guys, if you're running after a woman who looks good on the outside and that's all you know about her is because she flashes those eyes at you or she's got a smile that just knocks your socks off, let me promise you that if her heart is not embedded in something that's going to transform her and change her to be respectful and pure, then you've got problems. Because a pagan woman creates problems in the home. A woman surrendered creates beauty in the home. Peter wants you to see that. Every woman has a longing to be desired and to know her role. That's her identity. The attractional model does not lead you to that place. But he goes into the conduct of the beloved woman. The conduct of the beloved woman in verse 4 is that she's, she goes to the hidden person, which is the heart. And, and there's a gentle spirit that, that shows this quality of strength that comes out of her. And that there's this quiet spirit which shows that she's in control. Of course, in the world we live in, we demean so many words. And so we point these words directly to demeaning characteristics of a woman without really seeing what they really are. And so we have to put new wordings to help you understand the beauty of what Peter says. He's not demeaning women because what Peter knows is that because he used to be a Jew that would not go to the Gentiles until Jesus said, Peter, go to the Gentiles. And Peter was like, what? And he was like, yeah, go to the Gentiles. Peter went to the Gentiles and then he's like, guess what? Not only are the Gentiles able to come into the family of God, but the women are equal to the men. And he's like, what? And yeah, that's what God did in Peter 
And the women are not less than. And so all of these words are not demeaning. They're encouraging. They're meant to build you up. Peter didn't write these words so that the women could be like, nah, uh I ain't even hearing this, Peter. He wrote these words so that the women would walk away going, I am loved, and this brother, this, this, this man of God has got our back, and he's teaching us that God's love is real, and it's growing us, and we can see our home have hope. Don't let the culture pull you away from what the author meant to do. Your heart, because you're the conduct of the beloved woman, right? Your strength, your self-control matters. And then he goes into this illustration with Sarah, the wife of Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And why does he do this? Why does he go? Because, Scott, why does he give that explanation? Because Sarah's not perfect. No, 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 no. He didn't give you an illustration of Sarah because she's perfect. He gave you an illustration of Sarah because she hung on to promise. Sarah didn't say, my Lord, because she was submitted to her husband in a very negative way. She said, my Lord, because she had already seen her husband say, Sarah, God's leading us to go. And she's like, where, baby? He's like, I don't know. She's like, well, okay. And then they just go for a long time, trusting God. And so what's she hanging on to? She's hanging on to the fact that she sees her man following God. And so she's following God and she's standing by her man. Any song coming to your mind right now? We're not going to entertain that for long. So you keep rolling on into this thought process. Why did he give this illustration? Because women, her life with Abraham was not settled And yet she was settled in her role because she was a child of promise. Even when the impossible faced her, you're going to have a baby in your very old age. Genesis chapter 12, I think. She said it seems impossible. And yet she was not perfect. She held on to promise. Peter wrote this because all of you women who are a part of God's family, you need to know that you are fully loved. And through God's word, you are fully equipped. And through God's word, you are fully accepted all because of Jesus Christ. You don't have to look for your identity in what you do on the outside. You focus on the heart. You focus on the inside. Your hope is not in your husband. I'm going to say that again. Your hope is not in your husband. Let me say that again. Your hope is not in your husband, which is why you can live with joy, knowing that a home invasion can happen with the gospel because of the way that you live submitted to Jesus Christ. He called you out of darkness in his marvelous light and will use you, his daughter, to invade your home with salvation. Now, that's exciting. Write this down. Give attention to beauty that does not fade since you belong to a man who cannot fail. Give attention to beauty that does not fade since you belong to a man who cannot fail. His name is Jesus. Verse 7, and we are going to finish this thing up. Christian husbands, 
he addresses the conduct of the Christian husband. Likewise, he starts likewise just like with the wives. In homes where the husband is a Christian, your leadership is directly associated to your surrender. That's right. If you're not leading your home well, you're not surrendered. It doesn't mean that chaotic things can't happen in your family. It doesn't mean that wrong things or bad things can't happen. It means that there is a wholesomeness about your family, your wife, and your children, that you are together, that there is a unique binding of you together. And if you ain't leading at home, you ain't surrendered to Jesus. Is that South Mississippi enough for you? Donna will get me about using the word ain't. Well, it may not be all she gets me about after this sermon. All things in this verse flow out of surrendered heart. That's what I need you to know. So this verse 7, if you're wondering what it means, it flows out of the surrendered heart. So women, when we get to the word weaker vessel, I know you're hanging on, you're ready. Oh, what's he going to say? It comes out of a surrendered heart. He tells us, first of all, live with your wife. Don't you like that, husbands? Husbands, live with your wives. Husband and wife, man and woman. It's not confusing unless you're in a broken world and you're a broken person. Man and wife, live with your wife. Don't live apart from your wife, live with your wife. Why? Because live with your wife is a term of conduct. You don't own her. She is not your slave. You don't handle her because she don't need another daddy in her life. <laughs> I've been told that. But what you do realize is that she is an equal before God and she is worthy of honor and respect. Live with your wife, that's what that means. Live with her. She's in the house because she likes you. I don't know why she likes you, but she does. So you live with her, that your relationship grows and there's a bind there and there's a conversation that flows from you to her because you know that she is in this with you. Live with her. Be sensitive. <laughs> Scripture says it, not me. <laughs> Men, be sensitive. What you talking about, Scott? I know it's hard. It's difficult. But be sensitive. The only way I can explain it is like this. You got time? Yeah, you do. In my house, the most expensive dishes that we own are called fine china that's right how many times have we used fine china in 21 years of marriage twice 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 it might could pay off our house i don't really know how expensive that stuff is let me tell you about fine china the reason that we don't use it is because we don't want to break it the reason we don't use it is we don't want it to get chipped and we really don't want to get smudges on it. You know what? Just leave it alone. Put it up in the cabinet. So we have it in a china cabinet, a very pretty china cabinet with glass because what do we want to do with our fine china? We want to display it. We want you to see how beautiful it is. Don't touch it though. It's fragile. It's beautiful. We want you to see it and it's expensive. It's worth a lot. You can look at it, but we'd rather you not touch it. It's even got this little thing. You can touch the hinges three times and it'll brighten. Boop, boop, boop. How, how good do you want to see it? It's interesting how dust can get in those china cabinets, though, isn't it? But we don't dust it because we don't touch it. Whatever. 
The only way I can illustrate this point is this, is when I understand that he says be sensitive, is that I see that our wives are to be shown a different kind of honor as the weaker vessel because they are meant to be displayed and adorned and we are meant to protect them and show them off. They are built weaker, men, physically. And that's what Peter's jumping to. He's like, they are built physically weaker than you. You're called to protect them. You're called to stand in front of them. Don't expect them to do the things that you were created to do. It's the order. It doesn't lessen a woman. It greatly defines your role as a man. You understand that, women? Weaker vessel does not lessen who you are. It strengthens God's role to the man. You're not weaker because you're less than. You're weaker physically because God did that on purpose. You're not intellectually weaker. You're not emotionally weaker. You're not less important in God's eyes. But there is a spiritual responsibility that the man has in his home and you are to be led on purpose with full intent husbands you have a responsibility your wife is not inferior spiritually she is to be brought along in the process because she is a partner with you in this grace of life but you're called to lead and that's your role. Peter spent time lavishing the wives who are living in a very difficult household saying there's hope. And then he comes to the husbands and says, husbands, you live different in this pagan world because these pagan men, they're not going to see their wives as equal. But you do because you belong to God. These pagan men, they're not going to love and adore their wives and bring them in on the decision process. But you do because you know God's order in this. They're weaker vessels, but they're not meant to be pushed away. They're meant to be brought in by your leadership so that the onlooking world will see that your dependency is on God. And when you neglect your responsibility as a man, don't think you're going to have a prayer life that's worth anything. Everything that we have, men, as leaders of our home requires dependency on God. Your dependency on God is everything. To ignore the principles in this verse, verse 7, is to miss the mark in life. You want to hinder your prayer life? Stay in control of your home. You want to increase your prayer life and see God's blessings in your home? Be submitted to God and his lordship in your life. It's not rocket science. It was the passage that was handed down to me, and I'm thankful for it. It's made me a better man and a better husband, a better father, and more in tune with how precious you as women are, but how important that you who are wives that have lost husbands, that you have the privilege to come and call on God to do something and awaken your home because he will. And that we stand alongside of you as you live out the conduct of a believing woman as your husband over time sees that conduct and the gospel will invade your home. He will. And we're in this together. Peter is hopeful that this information of Christ, of his love and upside-down kingdom, 
will give power to their words as they bear witness to God's mercy and show people the beauty and truth about the way of Christ. So here's my question to you. As our instrumentalists and West come up and our encouragers, is it time for a home invasion of hope where you live? It starts with salvation. The home can be filled with hope and love if you are born again and you belong to Jesus. But it continues with obedience. Obedience is seen in the conduct of the believer. Obedience is seen in the conduct of the believer. Friends, I don't know what you got going on in your home or your life, but I do know this. The rescue and the hope is found in Christ. If your home's in disarray, why wouldn't you come and just pray? If you have friends that are lost and their homes are in disarray, why wouldn't you come pray? We're in this together. And God has promised us hope. And with that, we can't fail. So will you pray with me as we respond to what he's doing this morning? Will you stand?